fail me now. You won't fail me now in the way. And the same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days. Oh, yes, I will. Same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley.
Happy Sunday, man. I don't know about you, but uh, I got the, the countdown going 28 days till we get uh, to meet again together in person. I am so excited for that. I am really counting down here. So, uh, we're continuing our series right now called Change for Good. And uh, so, for me, one of the things in my life that I, I try to do really well uh, is I try to be a good tipper. I like to leave good tips. Uh, I pretty much start at 20%. 
uh, partially because it's like easier math than 15. Uh, partially because 15 just doesn't seem, I don't know, it doesn't feel like enough, it's just a feel thing. And then partially because, man, being a server like has to be really hard. Uh, you gotta be friendly to everyone, like all the time. You gotta have a good attention to detail. You gotta have that rhythm of like how often to come back and refill drinks and ask how things are going. You can't come too much, you can't come not enough. Uh, and then you have to deal with difficult, entitled people like all the time. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I try to be a really good tipper. A couple scenarios where I'll tip way over and above, man. If, if they're really good, man, if a server goes above and beyond, I try to go above and beyond. I'll, I'll be silly with my tips sometimes with people like that. And then if I notice uh, that it's like really busy or somebody's being a jerk, I will try to go crazy. Because I, I don't know, I, I have this mentality like, when they get home, like, hey, honey, how was work? Uh, well, Karen yelled at me for not keeping her Diet Coke refilled, but I got a really crazy tip from this one guy. Like, I want to be in that conversation. I don't know. There's something about it. I feel like called by God uh, to play that role sometimes. Uh, like, it's a part of my calling to be generous. But there is this weird part where um, I don't know what... Sometimes I don't know what to say when it comes to tipping. Like, it feels awkward and mechanical. Um... But one of the things I try to avoid, and I, I, I don't know what, it's the thing that like pops into your mind, but it's the very thing that I try to avoid is that, that saying, keep the change. Keep the change. Uh, it just feels wrong. It sounds wrong. And I was trying to figure it out. I was coming up with reasons like why I don't like that, that saying in particular. Uh, I came up with three. Number one, um, it feels like something the creepy guy who thinks the waitress is flirting with him would say, like, keep the change. Writes his number on the receipt and she throws it away afterwards. Um, she wasn't flirting. She was just trying to get a good tip. Um, or it sounds like if you're not being creepy, it almost sounds condescending, right? Like something a British guy would say to his poor peasant servants, you know, like, keep the change. Like, here you go. A couple of pennies for you. Uh, or the, uh, the last thing that pops in my mind is home alone. Keep the change of filthy animal. Like I have to have a Tommy gun in my hand to say it. I don't know why. It just, it just always pops in my mind. So it's a weird thing to say. Keep the change. Um, but, but, uh, the concept of keeping the change is something that's compelling to me in that if I make a change in my life, I want to keep the change, right? If I spend an enormous amount of energy to make a change in my life, I want to keep that change. If I pour my blood, sweat, and tears into doing something with my life, if I spend a ton of energy making a change, I definitely want to keep the change. So it's a weird thing to say. Don't say it. You shouldn't say it. But it's a compelling subject. So we're in this series called Change for Good. We've been talking about how to make positive change in your life, and today I want to talk about how to keep that change. We've already started it, and I'm assuming you have in your life uh, things that are in various stage, stages of change right now, right? You have a bunch of different things happening at different levels, and I want to talk about, hey, how can you keep that? Hey, you've made some progress. You've changed a little bit. How do you keep that progress? How do you, how do you keep that change? So pray with me before we jump in. Jesus. Uh, I know, I know, I know that there are people watching right now who are changing, or that you are doing some things in their life, that they have made some progress, they are not who they were, and you want uh, to keep that, Lord, and I, I want um, just everybody listening, Lord, I pray that they would be open to what you have to say so that we can keep that change that you're making. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is this guy named Nehemiah, man, he's this gritty visionary leader uh, who feels called by God to make this like audacious change in a city and man he just gets after he just gets after this dude he, he's just one of my favorites and um, so backstory if you're not familiar the people of Israel are conquered uh, the city of Jerusalem is sacked the walls are torn down like God's city Zion the city of David is destroyed it's left in ruins and the people get taken away into captivity into a foreign country now uh, years pass Regimes change. They're in captivity to one nation, and then another nation comes in and takes over. And the new nation actually allows them to return. So some of the people have started to return, uh, but the city is basically a pile of rocks. And that's what they're returning to. So Nehemiah actually ends up being one of the uh, cupbearers in the king's court in this foreign nation. And he hears about uh, Jerusalem and how bad it is. And he feels called by God to be this catalyst, this leader uh, for change, for good in this city. And uh, he feels called specifically to rebuild the wall around the city. And he asks the foreign king, uh, not only uh, if he can go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which is a big ask. Hey, I don't want to do what I'm doing for you anymore. I want to go do this other thing. He also asks him to bankroll the whole thing. Like, hey, can you write a check so that I can go leave you and go do something else? Crazy, crazy big ask. But man, God moves through that bold faith. And the king says yes to everything, like writes him a blank check, go do it. 
Uh, so he's got like the favor of God on him as he's going. It's just really cool. Um, so he heads back to, to the city to rebuild the walls. And it's a really big thing. If you don't know, like back then, walls around the city were huge. Um, without walls, a city is exposed to raiders, foreign armies, even wild animals. Like cities needed walls. A, wall, a city without walls was, was a dangerous place to live. So his mission from God is to rebuild these walls um, to make the change for good in the city. And uh, so we're not trying to jump into the beginning story, right? We're trying to jump in in the middle because we're talking about how to keep change, not how to make change. So I want to jump here a little bit. I'm not going to dwell on details. He does some really cool, like, leadership savvy decisions, and the project gets started. And I want to jump in in the middle in uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Here's what it says. Um, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. So here we are. The, the halfway point in the middle of the project. And on one hand, that's really exciting, right? You got the wall halfway done. There, there's no gaps anymore. Man, we are making progress. It's visible progress. It probably feels good to see that. But on the other hand, in the halfway point, it can be a difficult and, and kind of a scary place to be. Because if you compare the middle to like the beginning, you know, when you start a project, when you start a change, there's some inherent enthusiasm, right, uh, and excitement to uh, the beginning of a change, right? At the start, you got that new project energy. It's that honeymoon phase with the idea that you're trying to go after. There's that adrenaline rush that's fueled by that vision that you're going after, and you can see it clearly, and you want it. And there's a little bit of naivety as well, right? Because you haven't actually hit anything difficult. So, you know, you see what you want to do, but you're not 100% sure what it's going to take to get there. So you have that in the beginning, man. And it's, it's exciting to start things. And then the finish is an obviously an exciting thing, right? You, you get to the end of a project, to the end of a change, a man, a mission accomplished, vision fulfilled, goal achieved. That's an exciting, energizing, that's like a rush when you get to check that box. Um, so both of these have like inherent vision, start, beginning, but the middle. Man, the middle, the messy middle, it can be really, really rough. Uh, the, the shine of the new project has lost its luster. You know, the new project energy fades. Um, you look around, you realize, oh man, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. And I'm only halfway done, right? So the change has started. You've made some progress, but now all that progress that you've made is at risk in the messy middle. You started to see change. You actually feel some change, but you look around and you find yourself in this mess because you see progress looking back, but you see work looking forward. You're not where you were, but you're not yet where you want to be, and it's this weird place in the middle. That's exactly where Nehemiah and the people of Israel find themselves here. Hey, the wall's half done. Yay! But immediately some stuff starts to happen. So the very next verse, that verse said we just read said, hey, the walls are halfway done. Yes, awesome. Verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the, in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw us into confusion. So, so they hit the halfway point, they get into the middle of the project, and they hit opposition. They make some progress and hit resistance. And I don't know about you, but like, so my mentality when I'm trying to make a change is that I am mentally prepared for, for opposition, for resistance in the beginning. I'm always thinking, hey, when I start to make a change, I know I'm going to hit opposition. When I start to make a change, I know it's going to be hard right here. But I have a, an unspoken assumption sometimes that when I get through that, then in the middle, that's not going to be there anymore. Uh, but that's a dangerous assumption because um, I think sometimes uh, people will see you start to change and they won't resist you because they actually don't believe in you. They don't think you're going to do it. They don't think you're going to stick with it. They're kind of laughing, winking behind your back, no offense, because they don't think you're going to stick with it. They, they're, they're okay with the change in the beginning because they don't think you're going to actually pull it off. But then when you get to the middle and you start to actually see some progress, you see that the changes actually start to take place, that's when these people decide, you know what, we got to stand against this. The change is actually starting to threaten us, and that's when the resistance hit. So here's the thing for me. Um, I wanted to acknowledge that um, when opposition hits, it is not evidence that God wants you to stop. When opposition hits, it is not evidence that God wants you to stop. And I, honestly, I hope you've heard me say that before. I hope you're going, oh man, that sounds familiar. Um, because it's something I just want to continue to lay before you because I hear Christians all the time, all the time, 
say something along the lines of uh, the fact that this is hard is evidence that God, this must not be God's will. I hear it all the time. Uh, like the expectation is that if that God wanted me to go in a certain direction, the, the road would be nicely paved and slightly downhill, and that's where the destination is going to be. I hear it all the time. The moment it gets hard, the moment some kind of attacks come, the moment I actually have to fight for something, maybe God doesn't want me to do this. Like, the, why is that the instinct? It drives me crazy to hear that as the reasoning. Like, like that saying, you know, if God uh, closes one door, he opens another, or he opens a window, or something stupid like that. I just want to know, when people say the sentence, uh, God closed the door, how do you know who closed the door? I, I always am curious by that, God closed the door. How do you know it wasn't saved? How do you know God's not up in heaven going, hey, put your shoulder into the thing. Hey, get a crowbar out and rip that thing open. How do you know it was God? How do you know? Because, see, the, the reasoning there, it, it almost has to follow the logical reasoning that if, if God wants me to do it, then the door is going to be open. Well, who said, right? Since when is following God's will supposed to be easy? When did we get that assumption? If God wanted me to get this degree, it wouldn't be so hard. Who said? If God wanted me to stay in this marriage, it wouldn't be so hard. Who said? If God wanted me to follow my purpose, it wouldn't be so hard. Who said? Who said? Since when is the difficulty level of something evidence that God wants you to have it? I know we didn't get it in the Bible. I know we didn't get this in the Bible. Every hero in the Bible faced a crazy opposition doing exactly what God wanted them to do. Oh, there's a giant? I feel like God wants me to go slay it. That's opposition, right? Oh, there's a walled city? I feel like God wants us to attack it. Oh, there's a lion? I think God wants me to chase it. Oh, there's a city where they're going to arrest us if we share the gospel? Let's go tell them about Jesus, right? That's always the case. There was always opposition in the direction that God told them to go. You will not find a conversation in the Bible that uses the difficulty of the path as evidence that God wanted them on a different path. You'll never find it. If anything, you could actually make the opposite argument. If, if you wanted to make an argument about difficulty being a sign from God, it might be a sign that you're going in the right direction, actually. I don't want to always use that. But for me, if I'm looking for a compass where it's difficult, that's the direction I'm headed because that's usually the direction the enemy doesn't want me going and it's the direction God does want me going. So... Don't tell me God doesn't want you in this marriage because it's hard. Don't tell me that sentence. You give me a better reason than that because I'm not going to accept that one. That's inadmissible in court. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me God doesn't want you to make that financial decision because it's hard. Don't tell me that. That's not why. Don't tell me God doesn't want you pursuing that dream because it's hard. No, that's not the reason. Give, give me better ones. If we're going to have those conversations, give me better reasons. So listen, if you want to keep change, if you've made some progress in your life, you know God's working in some things, you're trying to go towards something, if you want to protect that progress, don't view opposition as a sign that God's not with you. If that's your mentality, you're never going to keep the change. You're going to make some progress. You're going to hit a difficulty, and you're going to go back to the beginning. It's going to be on repeat in your life. You're going to be in this infinite loop of, I'm starting to make progress. Oh, it hurts. Maybe God doesn't want me to do this. You go back. It's going to be a repeating thing in your life over and over. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's not painful. I'm just telling you, stop interpreting difficulty and the pain as evidence that God is telling you to turn around. So that's the first thing, is that, is that when they hit the halfway point, they get some opposition. But that's specifically coming from outside the walls. Uh, if you drop down to verse 10, you see something else. Um, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble to be removed. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. So uh, they're halfway, but they're tired. We, we've, we've made some progress, but we're not sure we're going to be able to keep making progress. Right? We've made some change, and it's obvious, but there's so much more to do. It's the, the opposition now that comes from the inside. This is an attack, right? This is discouragement. This thing comes up from inside of you. Uh, I just don't know if I can keep this up, right? I know what it took to get me to here, and I'm not sure I have what it takes to get me there. Uh, and the King James Version actually says uh, their strength is decaying. I actually like that, man. That, that there's this decaying feeling on the inside. I know you've had that before, man. When you're, you're trying to do something, you just feel it kind of wither on the inside. And look at specifically what got them. Uh, it's not just what needs added that was discouraging to them. It was, it was what needed removed that was so overwhelming to them. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, the wall's half built, but look at all this rubble. Like they couldn't handle this pile of rubble over here. They made progress over here, but they didn't make progress over here. And it was like there was this connection for them. Um, 
progress in the one area almost like shine light on a lack of progress in another area you ever do that like clean one room in the house and it makes the other rooms look dirtier if you have kids that's because they were in the other rooms actually making the rooms look dirtier but sometimes it's just a perception thing right this room's clean now this one looks even worse and i think that's true in our lives sometimes man you start to get progress in one area and then all of a sudden you look over here and go oh that's even worse now mm -hmm. it's not it just kind of feels that way in comparison but but what happened here is that that this area where they weren't making progress now starts to threaten the area where they were making progress because they're so overwhelmed by looking back and forth at both of them. And I got to be honest with you, man. I I read this verse, verse ten this week, and it, it messed me up. I read it over and over and over again. The workers are tired. There's so much rubble. We can't do it. The workers are tired. There's so much rubble. We can't do it. It's it's. I'm I'm exhausted. Here's the mess. I don't think I can. I don't think I can keep going. Like that just kept like reverberating, and and I got stuck here. I'm gonna be honest. I I like. I actually wrote under under this verse in my notes, this is the question that needs answered. I, can't, I, I have to somehow answer this question, what do you do here? What do you do if that's where you are? Like, I'm exhausted, look at this mess, I don't think I can do it. Like, what do you do in that place? Because um, man, if, if you haven't felt that this year yet, you're a better person than me. Um, we've made progress, but halfway done but totally ready to throw in the towel on any progress because you're so tired and so overwhelmed. They're going to give up the change they've already made because they're overwhelmed by the change they have yet to make. So maybe you've been there, maybe you are there. Um, so the question has to be, man, what do we do when we're there? What do we do when we're in that place? How should we respond when our strength is decaying on the inside, we're overwhelmed, and we just don't think we can do it? So, spoiler alert, I'm not going to read the whole story. They don't quit. Uh, they end up rebuilding the entire wall. They do it, man. Remove the rubble. They succeed. What they thought they were going to fail at, they succeed. Uh, they keep the change. So the question then is, well, how did they do it? How did they do it? Uh, well, God uses Nehemiah's leadership so brilliantly through this. And I want to give you three things uh, that, that they did that, that kept them going. Uh, and number one, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you, number one's uh, not going to blow your mind, okay? It's not going to be some deep insight that you've never heard before, uh, but I need to just remind you of this. The first thing that they did when they felt uh, exhausted, overwhelmed, can't do it, is they trusted in God. They trusted in God. Uh, and I know that's a cliche, and I know it's said so often, it almost just doesn't mean anything, you know, just trust in God, just trust in God. Um, but the idea is that when they ran out of their own strength, they then had to rely on God's strength. There was some like a supernatural exchange that took place mentally and emotionally where we can't do it, but man, God's got to come in now and help us do it. Um, and if you've read the story of Nehemiah, you know that Nehemiah like has this... Um, this reaction in prayer. He reacts in prayer. He, it, it doesn't take much. Like when he hits something, his, his instinct is to pray. Uh, and I know it's, I don't know, it's not, it's not me. I usually freak out, say some words, and, and then, oh yeah, by the way, I'm supposed to pray. Like I, I don't usually get there, man. Nehemiah was, thing happens, let's pray. And he just went right to God with this. Um, and I think that's something so important for us to realize, man, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling tired, when you're feeling like you can't do it, like that's the place to go is to God. Because God makes some pretty wild promises in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 29, says this. Uh, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths become weak and tired. Young men will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not go over their walk and not faint. A new strength. That strength that's decaying inside of you, that's cool because God's going to give you a new strength. This is like a supernatural thing, like a supernatural soul revival that God is promising here if you trust in Him. It's not a guarantee. You're not going to automatically be renewed. It's, it's only when you put your trust in God. This is why I think it's so important for you not to view difficulty as evidence that God's telling you to turn around because if you do that, you're never going to tap into the strength. You're, going to ha you're not going to have this strength. You're going to think that God wants you to turn around when God's actually saying, hey, this is hard because I want you to trust me. This is hard because I don't want you to rely on your own strength. I want you to rely on my strength. So I just want you to know as you're going, as you're making change, as you're trying to make progress in your life, you're going to hit a point where you run out. And that is where you have to say, okay, switching gears, I have to switch the power over to trusting in what God can do through me, not in just what I can do. You have to. 
You have to you find a way in here and here to switch that over. So the first thing they did was they trusted in God. They knew they couldn't do it. They couldn't rebuild the wall. They couldn't remove the rubble. They couldn't keep going without God. They knew that. They knew that. The second thing they did is they came together. They came together. Nehemiah organized the people to, to work together and keep going, man. He had some of the wall here, some of the wall there, some of swords over here, uh, some gathering water. Like he had everybody working together. He really rallied them and, and said, hey, we can't do this scattered. We got to do this together. And I want you to know, again, you're going to hit a point in your life where you, if you're trying to go on your own, you're going to get stuck. If you're trying to make progress with just you, you're going you're gonna to hit a rut that you can't get out of on your own. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who, uh, someone who falls alone is in real trouble, someone who falls alone is in real trouble, if you don't have people, you're not going to be able to make lasting change. If you don't, it, you need a tribe, you need a herd, you need a squad, you need a whatever you call it. Um, and, and it can't just be can't just be like the people you graduate from high school with like you need people who like are on the same mission who see the same things you see who want the same things you want you need a certain kind of squad a certain kind of herd don't just say oh i got people well do they want the same things you want are they going in the same direction you're going like that's a really important question you have to ask because i'm not just talking about hey i got somebody who i can call and vent to when i'm frustrated no no, no you don't need that i mean you need that but you don't need only that you need someone who, who does more than just affirms what you already think. You need somebody who will call you up and call you out and reach down their hand even when you're not reaching your hand out and say, no, 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 come on, get up, get up. You need someone who loves you too much to let you settle for God's best, settle for anything less than God's best. You need someone who loves you too much to let you settle for anything less than God's best for you. And man, if you find that, <laughs> treasure it. <laughs> if you find someone willing to fight for you, even if it means fighting you, Man, don't take that for granted. Those are, those are people you want to keep. You want to keep those people in your life. Don't push away. So they trusted God. They came together. Uh, the last thing they did, man, this one was so important for me. Uh, they remembered their why. They remembered their why. So one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Nehemiah 4, chapter 14. Uh, this is Nehemiah uh, speaking here, and he says, uh, Then, as I looked over the whole situation, the whole situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So man, I just I just love Nehemiah. He is he is so awesome. He, he looks out and he sees the whole situation. Enemies on the outside, discouragement on the inside. He sees everybody's heads down. Everybody's looking at the rubble. Everybody's looking at the unfinished work. Everybody's looking at the exhaustion inside of them. And Nehemiah stands up and says, Hey, get your head up. What are you doing? Hey guys, why are we doing this? That was his big message. Why are we doing all this? This wall we're rebuilding, it's, it's a mission from God. Remember, he's like, remember, God called us to this. When it's finished, the city's going to be better for it. Uh, darkness will be pushed back. P humans will flourish in this city if we succeed here. The people you love, man, your commitment to the change God's calling you to is going to make everyone around you better. So Nehemiah is trying to say, hey, remember your why. Why you started this in the first place. God has called you to this, man. If you make a change for good, if you can keep the change, it's not just going to be good for you. It's going to be good for everyone around you. God wants to work through you. Whatever it is God's trying to do in your life is not just going to terminate on you. It's going to keep going and go out into other people. It's a part of your calling, your mission, your purpose in life. It should resonate in your soul when you think about it. Remember your why. God has called you to this. This is a part of what he's trying to do in your life. He, he doesn't just want to make a change in you that terminates on you. He wants to make a change through you that goes out and makes other people's lives better as well. So I used to say, um, if you have a big enough why, you can get through any what. Uh, and I, I think that's true. I think that's true. Uh, a God-given why can get you through any what that hell sends your way. I believe that. I believe that. Um, but I think a more accurate thing to say would be, if you have a big enough why, and you can keep your focus on it, you can get through it. It's not just having the why, it's your ability to focus on that why in the midst of a bunch of what's that come and hit you in the face, right? And I just want to acknowledge, it's weird, it's a weird thing, but for some strange reason, uh, you can. it's easier to see your goal from the beginning of a change than it is in the middle. 
And that's weird because like if, if the, the, the goal is over here and the beginning is over here, you're further away here than you are here. But for some reason, it's easier to see from the beginning than it is when you get into that messy middle. It's almost as if this is like up on a plateau and then the middle you dip down in and you can't quite see uh, what, man, why did I start this? Why am I doing this? It gets hard in the middle, man. The complexity increases. You got forces and emotions working in the messy middle that causes you to lose sight of why you started it in the first place. So what are you focused on? I think it's really easy to do what the people of Israel are doing, to focus on the rubble. Look at all this mess. I think that is where our eyes just kind of naturally go down to the half-finished wall, to the low energy. But I think Nehemiah would tell you if that's where you are, he would say, hey, 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 remember your why. Look up. What are you focused on? What is your why? If you intentionally fix your focus, man, like watch what happens on the inside. See, I, I know that like um, you can't control how you feel. I know that. But I do know that you can control what you focus on, which affects how you feel. So, so rather than focusing on trying to change the way you feel, what if you, you focused on trying to fix your focus? What if that was what you tried to do? Hey, what am I constantly thinking about? What am I constantly looking at? And then watch what happens that kind of trickles downhill into you actually start to feel different. You actually start to, like, man, that, that energy that was, that was decaying starts to come to life. That attitude that was going the wrong way starts to come back when you fix your focus. Remember your why. So the Hebrew word, uh, for remember in this verse that, that Nehemiah uses here. It actually kind of carries the idea of setting up a memorial, like uh, a way to remember. Like, are you doing some things in your life that are designed to help you remember your why? Uh, designed to help you fix your focus. Like, what do you have in your life right now that's going to help you fix your focus? So Rocky in Rocky Four had a little picture of Ivan Drago taped up to his mirror. So every morning when he woke up to train, he remembered why he was waking up to train. He saw it every single morning and we ran in the snow and chopped wood, right? Um, my dad, uh, when I was growing up, when I was a little kid, um, had this crazy audacious goal to pay off the house like really fast. Um, and we had a lot of tough financial decisions to make because of that. But he put up in our dining room this little like, you know, like a thermometer and he'd marked it off with a red marker as we got closer. So every time we had to make a tough decision, he would point at that, like, remember our why here. And he ended up paying the house off in like eight years or something ridiculous like that. Um, remember your why. For me, when I'm uh, down as a pastor, when I'm overwhelmed, discouraged, frustrated, just tired, um, I remember our vision as a church to be a church for people who don't think church is of them. And I remember that, man, God wants to use this church to reach people, to, to, to bust through the gates of hell and do something crazy in eternity. And, and when I remember my why, man, it's like putting a log on a smoldering fire for me. I have to remember my why. So what kind of memorial can you set up in your life to remember your why? What can you do? How can you arrange your life to consistently remind yourself of your why? Your future joy comes from your present focus. Your, shoot, your future joy comes from your present focus. Your present joy comes from your present focus. What are you focused on? You will not keep your change if you are lazy with your focus. You'll lose it in the messy middle, you will lose it. And if you're starting to make progress, maybe you're towards the beginning and you're about to hit that middle, man, I'm telling you, if you aren't intentional about your focus, you're going to lose the change in that messy middle. Jesus did not die on the cross to bring you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, to give you a new heart, a new calling, a new purpose, a new mission in your life, just to see you live a half-fulfilled future. Don't settle for a half-built wall. Man, he's calling you to so much more, so much more. So make that change. Expect opposition. Trust God. Trust your tribe. Fix your focus. Pray with me. Jesus, I know, I know you, you're doing some things in people's lives right now. I know it. I know there are people sitting here right now who uh, they're, they're hitting this messy middle and they're starting to get tired. They're starting to get discouraged. They're starting to see the mess and they're realizing, I don't know if I can do it. I pray that you would move in their hearts right now that they would trust in you, that they would uh, find that tribe, that they would fix their focus on that why that you're calling you to. That this would not be a half-finished project, that they would not live a, a half-fulfilled life, but that they would live a life to the full because they're trusting in you and blazing towards that thing you've given them to do. In Jesus' name I pray.
Hey guys, so uh, like I said in the beginning, then 28 days till we get to see each other again uh, in person, in real life. Uh, so I wanted to lay a couple things before you as we get closer to that. Man, never before has your generosity been like as important as it is right now as we gear back up uh, to meeting in person again. Uh, as you can imagine, we're, we're trying to work with <laughs> multiple streams of reality here, uh, no matter what hits us, and we're trying to get ready for a lot of different things. So man, uh, please remember uh, us in your giving as we, as we get closer here, man, we're just going to need to be able to that flexibility going forward uh, to be able to, to do whatever we need to do based off of whatever comes our way. So we're trying to keep things as safe as possible, trying to be as prepared as possible, and that's really important as we get closer. Uh, and I just wanted you to know, I think uh, either this week or next week, we're gonna be starting to release uh, some of like the details of what it's gonna be like as we meet again. Like I mentioned last week, it's not gonna be exactly uh, like it used to be. We're not just going back uh, to what it was. We're gonna have to do some other things, gonna some added steps for us. We're gonna release that uh, as it comes here. And man, I just, I just wanna uh, ask you, please, uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to, to, to have pity on me. Um, as a leader, this is a really difficult thing. I'm just kidding. Please don't have pity on me. Um, but do do try to be empathetic to the fact that we're trying to make decisions in a very polarized situation right now where, man, people's opinions are all over the place. And no matter what we choose to do, uh, we're going to frustrate somebody. Man, just, just know that our hearts are to do what God wants us to do and to do what's best. Uh, we're not trying to go off of some agenda. We really just want what's best. So uh, keep that in mind as we start to release this. Um, we just want to. We just want to. We just want to have church again, guys. We just want to be able to meet, sing together, uh, sit under God's word, and have that sweet unity together. That's really our end goal here. Whatever we got to do to have that happen, that's what we're after. Looking forward to it. 28 days. Start the countdown. I can't wait to see you guys.